Um, what a privilege uh, just to have the opportunity to, to, to spend that long in God's presence as we um, worship together. Uh, I've really been blessed. So thank you very much indeed. Steve, do you, do you want us to do the interview just now? Yeah, fantastic. So um, you will be uh, amazed to hear uh, that Sheba, who's with me this morning, um, was actually um, sponsored by Compassion International. Uh, she grew up in abject poverty um, in Uganda. Can I just ask you for a, a show of hands? Have you heard of Compassion before? Can you just let me know? That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, so for those of you that, that don't know, Compassion is a Christian child development organization, and we work with local churches in 26 developing countries, and our model is one-to-one sponsorship. So one sponsor and one child building a relationship through exchanging letters and prayer requests. And what we do is we enable churches in some of the poorest parts of the world to reach out holistically to the poorest children and through them to their families and their communities. And and providing not just for education, but for spiritual development and physical care and social and emotional provision. So everything that children need to be released from poverty in the precious name of Jesus. Um, Sheba was was one such such child. And uh, it's my privilege that uh, she's come with me this morning just to share a little bit about what life was like for her growing up as a child. Um, Sheba, can you tell us, first of all, um, welcome. Um, Not for me to welcome you to this church, but we feel very welcome. So thank you very much. Would you like to introduce yourself and just Um, share a little bit with us? Thank thank you. you. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me here. Um, I'm just so grateful to God that um, actually as a church, we can come together in oneness. And even when there's so much that is happening, but we know our identity in Christ. And thank you so much for International Day. And (laughs) I seem to be the only one wearing this heavy (laughs) thing. Yeah, but um, my name is Sheba and I'm from Uganda. I'm actually uh, from the border of Uganda and Rwanda. So for some of you who have been either to Uganda or Rwanda, you have seen this cloth. And I'm really very grateful for the work of compassion. And as we were singing today, I was just imagining maybe uh, when I was a little child, when I was a little girl, with no dreams, I imagine so many Christians uh, out there were just thinking, oh, we should come together and help other people. And I grew I grew up in so much poverty, like Claire has said, and uh, and uh, one thing I do remember is that I, um, in wh- where we come from, um, I slept on a very small, tiny mattress, very old, uh, with three of my sisters and my brother, and we just used to bring old clothes, add next to the mattress to make, so we could sleep on that mattress in turn. And it was so bad because our house, uh, coming from a peasantry family, we had animals in, in the corner store of our house. And one morning, literally, I woke up and this side of my hair was all eaten up. Just imagine. I don't know whether... Do you know what it was? I, to this Which day, of the animals ate your hair? <laughs> I don't know if it's the rats, uh, wild rats that dug through our small house, or if it was the gods. I just can't know. But I, all I know is that one morning I woke up and this side was chopped off. And <laughs> one, another time it was the heel of my foot. And so that's the situation that uh, our house was in and my entire family. And uh, I remember also... 
also struggling for food, uh, no running water, and uh, things got worse, having to wake up every early morning at 4 a.m. and make pancakes and go and sell by the roadside just for us to have a meal. So for just one day, and that's how things were. There, um, for most of you who have heard about Uganda, you know, in the 90s, we had like AIDS epidemic and lots of people died. My family died, everyone around me in schools, everywhere. For us, it was like as a child growing up, it was, it was every week we had to go and bury somebody, either a teacher, a family member, a aunt. For us, it became like our day surrounding as a child. So that's the situation I grew up in. And for me, if it wasn't, for the rescue from compassion, I would have been one of those statistics. Either I would have died of HIV and AIDS because some of my friends died at the age of 14. By the time they were 15, they were already dead. Or I could have been there out there with maybe six or 10 children from like 20 men, nobody knows. But because of compassion and Christians coming together in oneness, they rescued me and changed my world and allowed me to dream. Praise God. So, Sheba, just help us to understand how that transition really happened. So, you were uh, in Kampala, in the capital city, and um, as, the, as the eldest, as the firstborn, so uh, you unfortunately were chosen that you would have to go and live with another distant relative um, and to... Um, to be the one that would free up, you know, some resources for the other children. Um, and so just tell us, how did that transition happen? And then, and then how did Compassion get involved? Uh, how Compassion got involved is that they, um, as in my situation was really bad, and I got... Uh, I was told to go and live with my relatives in the slums of Kampala. So I left my parents, my village, and went to work as a child slave, actually, for about two years. And during that time, that's when, uh, that's when my parents found about uh, the work of compassion. And people told them, there's this... Uh, place. It actually used to be uh, a school for Rwandan children who had come over due to genocide. So they said there's that place. They even had a name for it. They help children. They, they take them to school and you don't have to pay for anything. And because we had other missions that helped children, but you had to be either one of them or maybe you belong to a society. But this compassion, you had to come as you are. You didn't have to be a Christian. You didn't have to believe in anything. As long as you were poor, compassion would help you. So that's how my parents, I, I mean, called me back from Kampala and compassion reunited me back with my parents. And I began to dream when I was registered at the Compassion Project. And what really, um, what were the things that were most significant, would you say, in terms of what you received and how life really changed for you? Um, I remember within the first year of my being at the Compassion Project, uh, the, I, I had an American youth group uh, who said, who sponsored me, and they said, Shiba, you're going to, you, you are going to be a history maker. And they wrote to me, and uh, they said, we love you, we pray for you, uh, your circumstances are not going to define you, God has a plan and a future for you. And then for me, those words really encouraged me to go, you know, 
you know, to keep going. And also in that same year, I did not have to share one mattress with my family because Compassion gave me food, they gave me mattresses, they gave me blankets, bed sheets. And then within like space of two years, things dramatically changed within my family and we were no longer struggling. I had got school, everything started to fall into place. And I became a Christian at that age until today. Most importantly, praise God. Yes. So just to finish off, uh, you were the very first girl in your village to even finish high school and then went on to do not just a degree, but a master's. Yeah. Praise God. And your siblings also given the opportunity to study, yeah. all of them. Yeah, yes. honestly, for me, uh, for most people who have sponsored through Compassion, uh, this is just like something that works like magic because, uh, uh, like Claire said, in my family, in my entire village, I was the first girl to ever finish high school, a level that nobody in my village, in my community, had ever gone beyond studying a level. So here I was, and nobody in in generationally in my entire family had ever been married. <laughs> so, uh, because of co compassion gave me the opportunity to see it all. And uh, I went back to my sponsors who said, oh, Shiba, you're going to be a history maker. And I remember I survived being married off at the age of 14 because I was already going to the compassion project. I was already having my dreams, my careers already now. I was beginning to be like a normal child. And everything through compassion was achieved because they allowed me to dream and then allowed me to change my community. In Compassion, we always say that uh, change me and I'll change my world. And Compassion gave me that opportunity. And because I was able to be the first girl to finish high school and then went over and did um, a degree in Uganda and then went overseas in England, for us, it's like a big thing. Even if I knew, even if I walked back to Uganda, I could work for UN, I could work for any Body. And uh, for me, that was like an amazing thing to achieve. And everybody now in my entire village wants to educate a girl child because what a man can do, a woman can do better. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I've seen sayings actually where they say that educate a woman, you're educating a nation, and that's the thing in my, in, you know, what we say, and most people have lived to see that, uh, and then uh, also Compassion gave me the opportunity to be the first girl in my entire village to break the cycle of not being married, and um, uh, actually today is our 60th anniversary. <laughs> and, so, tell us, tell us about your family. Tell us about your husband and your children. Um, and, uh, and for me, uh, surviving actually to be married off at the age of 14 and then married at the right age when I had finished everything I wanted, my career, and then I got married to Solomon, who is from not even Uganda or East Africa, but from Nigeria. <laughs> And uh, we have two lovely children. Hannah is five and uh, Solomon Jr. is three, nearly three. So I really give God the glory. Hallelujah. Amen. And so your children will never know poverty. Yeah. The cycle has been broken has from been you broken. as someone who was effectively enslaved yeah, to be poverty. rescued. Yeah. Not just that your life would be touched, but that for generations to come. For generations to come. Your children will know... Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Yeah. 
and indeed they will be able to accomplish there. Yeah, and also uh, I remember I've been sponsoring for the last 13 years and because that was something I really wanted to give back to Compassion, I know other than helping my family, but I really wanted something special, something to carry on the battle. I remember as one of the, actually uh, one of the games, uh, games makers in London and one of the souvenirs they gave us was a button and that reminded me because uh, the girl I sponsored in Thailand said to me, oh Sheba, when I grow up, I just want to be like you, I want to sponsor another mm. child. And for me, it felt when they gave me that button, I felt that was something we are passing on because somebody sponsored me, I'm sponsoring back, and my children I sponsor also grow up with that mentality of giving back, and then we'll change our nation. I actually want to start by um, just encouraging you with uh, a scripture about... Um, giving and thanksgiving and how it actually works. Um, so uh, no need to turn uh, to this in your Bibles. I'll, I'll ask you to turn to another passage in, in a little while, but just, um, just to encourage you on the, on the theme of thanksgiving. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, reading from verses 9 to 12 in the NIV. Um, this is Paul um, quoting the Old Testament at the beginning in Psalms. Uh, this as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that's God, will also supply and increase your store of seeds and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Um, and so this morning, I would like us just to, to take away that um, when, we, when we give, what we're doing effectively is we're giving glory to God actually. It's an indirect thing as it's, as it's here um, in scripture as it's described to us, but as we give, those that we give to are grateful and they give thanks to God. So your giving is truly bringing glory to God and that's something that I've seen time and again as I've had the privilege of travelling with compassion. Um, actually I was thinking as we were going around with the flags, I've been to about half of the countries um, whose flags are up here. Um, and so I'm, I'm, really, I'm really privileged actually to be able to say to you from my personal experience that, um, that this is not just something that I've seen in, in Uganda, um, it's something that, that is the case no matter where um, I've travelled with compassion in the world. Um, I don't know whether um, any of you have had the opportunity to, um, to go and to travel to, to visit someone that you, you support, but it is quite a humbling thing. In fact, it's a very humbling thing. Um, you are treated as royalty. Um, it's something I struggle with quite a lot, if I'm honest, because um, you know, when, I, when I go and I visit um, a, a country that compassion is working in, um, I might not be sponsoring a child in that country, but yet I'm received as the honoured guest, like royalty, someone who's given you know, the place of honour and always brought to the front and always given the best seat. And it, it's quite overwhelming, to be honest, but this is what this scripture is talking about, about um, the gratitude that is expressed and how that is bringing glory to God. And that's what we desire to do, isn't it? To bring glory to God. And so the worship that I've experienced when I've travelled with compassion to different developing countries 
countries. These people who really have genuinely nothing, um, as we might you know, relatively see it. Um, I am continually humbled and inspired by the, the sincerity, the depth of their worship, and just how grateful they are to God. Uh, and I'm always challenged. You know, I have so much. And I'm, I feel like I'm not even that grateful. People who um, just have such peace and such joy, irrespective of their circumstances. I remember uh, when I travelled to the Philippines, I met a family who lived in a makeshift, makeshift house. So something they you know, literally constructed themselves. Um, and we'd had the privilege of you know, meeting their church leaders and worshipping with them and then you know, going and seeing you know, where they are actually living. And it, it's, it's, um, the, the, the contrast couldn't be greater. And they live in, um, in a place that is actually uh, subdivided vertically. So when you go in, you can't stand up. And the reason that they've done that is so that another family can you know, live on the level above. And in fact, in this particular block, if I can use that term, bearing in mind they've made it themselves, were actually four stories. So it was two regular stories, but they had been divided into four. Small, dark, cramped space, effectively. And you're thinking, you know, this couldn't really be any worse. And they tell you that, um, actually, they don't own this place, um, but that they have the opportunity to spend eight hours a day there. Uh, and there are three shifts. So after eight hours of sleep, hopefully, by God's grace, they have to move out so another family come in and sleep. And then, you know, there's, there's three shifts during the day. I asked this family what they were going to um, eat that evening, and they proudly showed me an egg, one egg, for the family. Um, so this contrast between people who are genuinely overflowing with gratitude and praise to God um, for, I think, what sometimes can seem like not a lot that we've really given, um, I think is, is a remarkable thing. And very challenging to me, to be honest. Um, you might think if you see uh, these things often um, that you become a bit immune to them, um, but my experience is I feel almost more responsible the more I see. Uh, and I think that that is a challenge for all of us because we all face um, situations where we encounter people you know, who, are, who are struggling. And I've often asked myself, in fact, probably at some point on every trip, and I normally do about one a year, I've worked for Compassion for 13 years, and as I say, been all over the world, and it doesn't matter where I am, um, People's gratitude is the same, and the level of challenge um, around their situations is, is the same. And I ask God, you know, what, how much is enough? You know, what am I supposed to do with this now that I've seen it? Um, you know, how much time and, and how much money? What are you looking for, Lord? Um, I wonder about you. Um, I wonder about um, the images that you've seen on our TV screens a lot over the last uh, few months and, and year or so. Those uh, images of refugees in open boats desperately trying to cross the Mediterranean and make it to uh, European land, to European shore. What are the thoughts that have gone through your mind as you've seen those pictures repeatedly? Have you thought to yourself, there's just, surely there's too many people for this small island to accommodate? Or have you thought, I just wish there was more that I could do? Has compassion fatigue set in yet? 
It's a challenge. I wonder if you've thought to yourself, Lord, as a Christian, you know, just what is the extent of my responsibility? Just how radical does Jesus expect us to be? I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to a really familiar story. I'm sure you all know it well. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And you'll find it in Luke chapter 10 and from verse 25. There's one verse in particular in this story that I, I think is often overlooked. And I think it's really relevant for us today, especially as it's International Sunday. So I'm just going to read to you from Luke chapter 10, it's uh, 25 to 37, so just at the beginning, uh, it begins the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. And that's the reason he asked this question. So what he's really saying is, Jesus, I know what the law says, but who does scripture require me to have care and concern for? And who can I afford to ignore? That's really what he's asking. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And it's in reply to this question that Jesus tells this really familiar story. And it's this next verse, verse 30, that I'd like us to just spend a couple of minutes on today. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's verse 30 that I think we often overlook and it describes the condition that the man was left in after he'd been attacked. And, and I want to put it to us this morning that Jesus was very deliberate in the description of the situation of this man. And so it's clear from Scripture that um, this man's clothes have been stolen 
and that he's been left half dead. Um, so what does, what does half dead mean? Well, I think it must mean that if he's not completely unconscious, that he's at least semi-conscious. He's not able to communicate well. He's not able to give a good explanation of what's happened. He's not able to, um, to really um, to say very much about who he is or, or what's happened to him. So imagine for a moment that you are coming down this road, you come around a bend, um, this notoriously dangerous road where you might be set upon yourself and you would have been aware you know, that, that this was a risk. Um, and in the road in front of you, you see something. And as you get a bit closer, you realise, oh my goodness, you know, it's a person. It's clearly somebody um, in need. And I think at that point you're going to ask yourself, who is this person? What's going on here? But the point is, and I think again that Jesus has done this very deliberately, you can't look at his clothing and tell who he is. And he's not able to tell you, uh, because he's not able to speak well, um, who he is. You can't tell what his accent is. You can't tell um, who he is and where he's come from. He's unable to speak for himself. And the point that Jesus is trying to get across to us is, we don't know who this person is. Is he one of us? Or is he one of them? Is he a Jew, like Jesus' original hearers? They can't tell. And the Jewish, the priest and the Levites, for whatever reason, they don't stop. Jesus has deliberately put a test, a conundrum, in the middle of this passage. It's designed for us to ask ourselves the question, if we didn't know who they were, if they were just a human being in need and that's all we could tell, would we have stopped? Jesus hasn't left it open for us if we call ourselves Christians to only have concern for people who look like us and speak our language and share our religion and live down the street from us. Any tribe or tongue or language or nation, anyone in need should be enough for us. And that's a really challenging conclusion, isn't it? What does that mean? Does that mean we're supposed to sell all our possessions and give everything to the poor? Is that what Jesus is trying to to communicate to us from this passage? I've wrestled with this a lot as I've travelled, and I'm not standing here this morning to tell you that that, that, that's not what God's saying to you, because I, I think that there are some people that God calls to do very such such things. But um, I want to tell you what. I feel that God has said to me, um, as I've repeatedly asked him, Lord, what am I supposed to do? My experience is that God is a God of grace, and I'm sure you'll agree with me about that, that he's good, and that he wants to bless us with all manner of good things. And so what God has said to me each and every occasion is simply this, Claire, what's the next step for you? What's the next step for you? In my experience, God is so good. He doesn't expect me to to take great leaps or hurdles over uh, things that I just find too much for me at this point in time. But for me, discipleship is just always about the next step. So this morning, what's the next step for you? This is a little boy whose name is Christian. Couldn't help picking him out with a name like that. 
Um, he's three years old and he's from Rwanda. Um, Shiva mentioned that she's from Uganda, but she's actually um, from Osaka, which is just near the border. Um, this is a boy, Christian, is from just south of the capital uh, of Rwanda, Kigali. Um, he's three years old and, and he uh, really needs a sponsor. It costs 83 pence a day to support a child with compassion. And we like to say that you may not be able to change the whole world, but you can change the world for one child. Imagine what the world would look like if every Christian family that could afford it would support the family of a child like Christian who is struggling. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to respond. I know that some of you are already doing all manner of good things in supporting, you know, maybe other sponsorship organizations, and I'm quite sure many other wonderful charities. I'd be surprised if it was any different in a church such as yours. But I believe that for some of you this morning, um, God might be stirring your heart to sponsor a child. But just before I invite you to be bold and um, take a step of faith, um, Joe's just going to come and share a word of testimony about his experience of sponsoring a child with compassion. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Claire. Um, you may remember she's, Claire said that uh, I used to work at Compassion. Um, and before I started working there, um, I had no idea how much God uh, had such a big heart for the poor. Um, and I came to discover um, that he is inviting us to also um, share in his burden for the poor. Um, not from a sense of guilt or a sense of duty, but because we recognize how much he's given us. Um, and just out of an overflow of response to him and, and gratitude that we would also um, reflect his generosity to the world. Um, so yeah, we sponsor, Vanessa was, my wife was sponsoring a child, um, I think before I met her, um, and then I came to work at Compassion and I sp started sponsoring a child. So we currently sponsor two children, Daisy from India uh, and Wisdom from Kenya. Uh, Daisy is in her teens, I think she's like maybe 14 or 15, coming to the end probably of her, uh, uh, her sponsorship journey. Uh, and Wisdom is eight or nine, I think. Um, and we had the immense privilege of going to visit Wisdom, where she lives in, in Kenya. Now, she lives in one of uh, the largest slums in Africa. Is that me? Or? She lives in one of the largest slums in Africa called the Kibera Slum. Um, and that's in Nairobi. Um, and Nairobi is this city of contrast. You have these gleaming uh, skyscrapers, this financial center of the whole of Africa, all this commerce going on, um, luxurious um, shopping centers um, for those that can afford it. And then right next to it, you've got this, this enormous slum that just stretches out for as far as you can see. Um, and I was quite nervous about going to meet Wisdom. Didn't know what to expect, really. Never been to a slum. Um, and I remember going through the entrance to the slum, and it's just, it's just brown and grey. Everything is brown and grey. There's shanty houses, um, and there's obviously no refuse system. There's no sewage system. Um, so you just, there's rubbish everywhere. Um, and you can just see on the faces of the people that there's just absolutely no hope whatsoever of being able to move out of these places and, and go and explore this world, which they can see. They can probably see these skyscrapers from where they live. Um, but they're stuck. Um, and we, we drove for maybe five to ten minutes, kind of trying to take it all in. 
And then we arrive at the gates of the, the, the compassion center where all the compassion children go um, to receive schooling and to receive meals and, and other practical things. And the gates open and you see green. You see green grass, which there's absolutely no grass anywhere else. And I just think that's an amazing picture. It's like, it's, not only is it an oasis, but it's also a picture of, of what it means to bring uh, a child into God's family. Um, and the most amazing thing for me, why I care so much about compassion, is that it's, it's so God-centered and it's so gospel-driven. So the, the programs that the children um, go into um, are all run by local churches, so, um, so it's an opportunity for a local church to practically um, outwork the gospel, first and foremost, by supplying practical needs for the children and their families. Um, and then also they get the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with them and for the children to hear the gospel and to respond at some point. Um, so when we sponsor a child, we're practically helping the church in Africa and Asia and South America to be the church in their contexts. We're empowering them to do that. And that's why I love Compassion so much. Um, so, yeah, so I went and met my sponsored child, Wisdom. Obviously very shy and timid when I met her. Didn't know what to make of me at first, but then she warmed to, towards me throughout the day. Um, she even let me hold her hand. Um, we, she took us back to her, her family home, which was very similar to the kind of situation that Claire described um, Small, very small space um, she shared with her brother and her parents. Um, I think in order to make it seem a little bit more homely, they'd put up a, a curtain to divide this small um, 10 by 10 space. So there was a kind of a bedroom and there was a kind of a, a living room. Um, and yeah, we, we, I got to share some, some toys and some practical things. I bought her a dress. Uh, it was an amazing experience. Um, yeah, we got to pray for her. It was a real privilege. Um, but I came away from it thinking, wow, this is, this is really real. When I go, she's still going to be there. She's still going to be living here. But the great thing is she now has the hope of being able to break free from that. And one of the most amazing stories I heard from my time at Compassion was um, from the old uh, president, Wes Stafford. Um, he told a story about when he was uh, in, I can't remember where it was, somewhere in Africa, and he, brought, he was addressing a crowd of people, and he brought a couple out from the crowd who were both uh, sponsored children and had graduated from the program, and now they were married, um, and they were getting on with their lives. And, and he, I don't think he was expecting this at all, and it was just a passing question, but he said, so is, are your children or is your child part of the Compassion Project? And they said, no, he's got no need to be in the Compassion Project project because poverty ended with us and because of the schooling that we've received because of the hope and encouragement that we've received we're now able to um he doesn't need it uh, so i thought that was great um so yeah and the other great thing is you, you can write letters to your children so recently um i received a letter from wisdom explaining to me what she had done for christmas she asks me questions she asks me what my if we have any pets she says she prays for my children and my family uh, it's amazing. But she also tells me about things that are going on in her life. So she told me that Al-Shabaab, uh, who are a terrorist group in the country, have been causing problems. Um, so there was an opportunity for me to pray for her and to encourage her. But it just, it just shows you the reality of their situation. Um, so yeah, it feels like a big commitment, but um, I think God is calling us to live simply um, so that others can simply live. So I hand it back to Claire.
just want to encourage you um, before I make any request of you. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, I've, I've worked for Compassion for 13 years now. And um, when I first started working for Compassion, I used to have to say that um, 35,000 children under the age of five are going to die unnecessarily today because they're too poor to stay alive. Not for any other reason, but through very, very simple things like malnutrition and diarrhea and, and that sort of thing, you know, malaria that, that just needs a net. Um, I wonder if you can imagine what that figure is today. So 35,000 children aged uh, zero to five um, dying every day unnecessarily 13 years ago. Today, that figure is 16,000. Now, it's 16,000 far too many, but please don't let anybody tell you that we're not making any difference. Um, the church can't take all the credit for this. Clearly, there are all manner of, um, of people who are doing great work, but that nevertheless, you know, a difference is being made, and as Christians, we believe that it is, you know, part of our DNA um, is to be salt and light, and as Joe said, not just to bring uh, the gospel, which is absolutely key and crucial. What does it profit, you know, a man or a child if they gain the whole world but they forfeit their soul? But at the same time, we don't want to leave them in those circumstances if we can lift them out of it. Um, so let me invite you this morning. Sheba has got, um, I think we brought with us uh, about um, 10 uh, details of children, just like Christian. So there's only one of these for each child. Um, so we will say to you, please, please don't uh, take these children's details home with you this morning without coming to speak to either Chiba or myself first, because um, we need to make sure that we find uh, a sponsor for them, so it's not just a leaflet. We do have some leaflets if you'd like to take something home with you. Um, but I would just encourage you this morning, if you would like to consider sponsoring a child, could you just put your hand up? I know this is brave and scary, and um, Sheba will just come and give you a child's details. Um, this is not a commitment at this point in time, at this moment. Um, I would ask you just when you receive the child's details, have a little look inside, inside front cover. There's obviously the photograph, there's details about the particular child, and you'll read also about the church that's ministering to this child in partnership with Compassion. There's a couple of hands over here, Sheba. Thank you. Um, and then um, there's a response form. And so if you feel that this is something that God is, is asking you to do this morning, could you please be very kind and just give us your basic contact details? That's section one. And uh, section four, uh, your bank details, if at all possible. Um, if you don't have your bank card with you this morning, that is not the end of the world. Um, but if you do, we just need your sort code, account number, and uh, name of account holder. Simply those three pieces of information. Um, but I invite you this morning just to, um, just to consider if this is something that God is asking you to do. Please come and talk to us afterwards. It may very well be that your spouse or partner or friend or somebody that you would like to sponsor a child with isn't here today, uh, in which case we would certainly not think it appropriate to ask you for any financial information, um, but that simply um, you would have an opportunity um, to get involved and to, to change a child's life. So don't take them home, but do, um, do come and talk to us afterwards and um, do fill the form in if you'd like to go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you all.